From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, we talk to Tyler Lindholm, who is the state policy director for Senator Cynthia Lummis, and we talk Biden's executive order, plus new legislation coming out of Washington for the crypto industry. That's coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today is Thursday, March 10th, 2022. The time is 8.35 a.m. Mountain Time. And I'm going to get straight into those crypto prices because we have a long show for you today. Very interesting. Lots of information. Uh, It's very long. So let's get straight into those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Bitcoin is sitting at $39,193, down 7% in 24. I don't know what happened. Ethereum's at $2,594, down 5.3%. Tether's number three. Binance Coin is at 366 down 7.3%. And USDC is number five, rounding off the top 10. We have Terra, XRP, Cardano, Solana, and Avalanche. Our total market cap is $1.75 trillion of BTC dominance of 42.7 and an F dominance of 17.8. And like I said in the intro... We're going to talk policy and go very in-depth to Biden's executive order to new legislation that is coming out of Washington soon. And if you have any questions or comments, as always, send me an email, MatthewAaron at Decrypt.co. Enjoy. Tyler Lindholm, State Policy Director for Senator Cynthia Lummis. How you doing, sir? Welcome to the show. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Matt. Absolutely, absolutely. I just want to preface our conversation today a little bit. Um, it's going to be longer than most listeners of the show is used to. So if anybody's listening, please grab a beverage, get comfortable. This is going to be a, a really fun ride. Um, and I also want to preface that who we have in the room right now and who you are, who I am, the conversations around crypto. Uh, I want to go into who you are a little bit because you have a very long history of working in politics, in the public sphere. But I am a, I'm a Democrat. You know that. Mm-hmm. You're sitting at a table with me. We're, we're talking to each other. I'm not catching on fire. You're not catching on fire. <laughs> we're talking about uh, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, policies. We had uh, probably about a two, three hour conversation yesterday, had another hour conversation today. And we also were talking to a progressive Democrat mm-hmm. on a panel today. Right. And, and I just wanted to one, first ask you so you can tell everybody who you are, what you've done. And also, I just want to just also wrap that up and say, this is bigger than a political conversation about the right likes Bitcoin and the left doesn't, or the left likes Bitcoin and the right doesn't, that's just blown out of proportion. It's complete bullshit. Right. So please tell everybody who you are. Okay. Um, so I, um, I'm currently the state policy director for Senator <coughs> Cynthia Lamas. She's the U.S. Senator out of the state of Wyoming, the junior senator. Um, and if, you, uh, if you're into crypto and you haven't heard uh, my boss's name, well, we, I, I don't think that's actually a possibility. If you're connected in crypto and, and somewhat in politics, it's kind of a thing. Uh, Senator Lamas has led the way as far as the Infrastructure Act uh, fight that shook out, and now she's getting ready to re- release a piece of legislation. 
Um, prior to uh, me doing this gig for, for Senator Lummis, I, I started out, I uh, was elected in 2014 to the State House Representatives in the state of Wyoming and uh, served until 2020. When I got out, I was the majority whip. And during that time, um, me and a couple friends, we decided we wanted to change the face of Wyoming. Uh, some of those friends are, uh, you know, Caitlin Long as an example, Chris Rothfuss, Jared Olson, Cyrus Western, Ogden Driscoll, the list goes on and those are, those are all in industry or uh, in the state house or state senate. And so we were fairly successful in doing some radical changes as far as regulatory policy was concerned and setting legal precedents. I mean, that was mother's milk for us, was setting legal precedents and creating this safe spot to land where all of a sudden Wyoming, which is known for cows and crypto, or wasn't known for crypto at the time, but cows and coal and cowboys, uh, is now part of the crypto discussion. So it was a big win. You bought some cows with crypto, didn't you? I did, yeah, yeah. So uh, show cattle, show cattle. Show cattle. Yeah, I, show cattle. So, that, that is not a cow then, I assume. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's a cow. Uh, it, it's just a fancy cow. <laughs> so my kids my kids show cattle, and uh, so I was able to buy some, some of our show cattle this go around um, with Bitcoin uh, based on, it was, you know, basically the, the only reason I did it was it was an opportunity to, to kind of orange pill, so to speak, uh, some kids on uh, on the benefits of investing investing your cash, putting being cash poor, uh, but being being rich in other assets. And there's there's benefits investment. So your assets include uh, cows mm-hmm. and Bitcoin and, yep. <laughs> and Cow, land, cows and Bitcoin and land, and uh, I, well, I'm involved with several other businesses too. Yeah, right on. Yep. Excellent, excellent. You said something there you said, that I thought was very interesting. You said. Me and a couple friends mm-hmm. wanted to change the face of Wyoming. That's a big statement. So what did you want to change and why did you want to do it? And how did you go about doing it? There's maybe a couple friends that are sitting in, let's just call it Ohio right now, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, that, that want to change the face of Ohio or right. change the face of I- Iowa or right. wherever. And, and it's not a big group of people right. how, what did you do why did you do it and how did you do it well that that's a super good question and, and the why is everything for me on why i did this um and why i was part of this group and uh so let me paint a picture for you and your your listeners and, and what it really comes down to and this is the same uh senator lummis and i have had this discussion too and she's on the same exact page as as far as the why is concerned so uh to give you an example wyoming is really big on mineral extraction we're really big on agriculture and tourism what happens if one of your kids, I've got four kids myself, what happens if one of my kids doesn't want to be a cowboy or a coal miner? Disowned. Yeah, well, I, I personally don't think there's anything wrong with it. <laughs> uh, even though I'm a cowboy and hell, I've even been a coal miner for a time in my life. But, um, you know, what does it mean? You know, so does, does that mean that, we, that we're okay with them leaving the state and raising babies elsewhere? And maybe, you know, if they want to live somewhere else, that's fine. But I think we should be doing everything we can to try and keep our best natural resource, which is our children, Mm. right as close to home as possible. So to give you an example, the state of Wyoming is one of the highest uh, in the nation uh, funding per student per year for K through 12 education. Really? Yeah. I I think we're second. Um, We're a little over $18,000 per student per year give you a kind of a reflection of what that looks like compared to one of our neighbors, Utah, um, is right around $7,000 per student. Wow. So the difference is huge. Wyoming invests in a big way and in our kids, because that's really the only thing worth investing in is the next generation. Right. 
And so at $18,000 per student per, per year, you're looking at right around $233,000 by the time they graduate high school. Mm -hmm. But then they go to community college. Now, community college is relatively cheap. I think that's across the board, US-wide. So that only costs the state about $7,000 per year. Mm -hmm. But if they go to the University of Wyoming, University of Wyoming is the cheapest D1 school in the nation as far as what you're going to pay, mm -hmm. as far as what the state pays. The state pays right around $45,000 per student per year Wow, for students to attend the University of Wyoming. So by the time that investment has taken place and they've gone all the way through the University of Wyoming, for example, the state's in. I mean, they're in at almost $400,000. Right. So why would we export that? What, what is the ROI? And, and this is definitely not what we're talking about today, but just questions that are coming up in my mind. What is the ROI on that $400,000 that you're going to invest in, a, in somebody grew them educationally um, right. mentally until they're, say, 22, 23 years old, 24, and then they hit, they hit the job market in Wyoming. They start buying show cattle and, <laughs> right, and right. whatever they're going to do. What, what is the ROI? Or does, is that even a consideration? Well, it's not. It, 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 it can't be a consideration on the short term. It, it is definitely a long-term consideration. And I think it has to be a long-term consideration as far as what, what kind of type of return on investment you're going to get. Um, for example, um, you know, there's lots of folks that donate to the University of Wyoming to their different athletic programs, their egg programs, those types of things that are ne have never been graduates of the University of Wyoming. And why would they do that? Hmm. Why would the state of Wyoming invest so much in its only university? That's about the kids, right. you know? And so it's a long-term investment. Hopefully that they'll stick around, that they'll stay here, that they'll have their kids here, that they'll um, continue on with kind of the Wyoming way of life, which is a little bit of a libertarian streak. So why Bitcoin? Why cryptocurrency? Right. I think that's the aspect that we didn't touch on. Oh, the, yeah. The, no, the, and I, the kids. I, I missed my pivot. Yeah, no, no, no. You know, that's, that, that's cool. That's cool. I mean, but but there, when you got your group of friends together, mm -hmm. and we should all know Caitlin Long, uh, we should all know you. Actually, a lot of people probably know you more by your stature. You're six foot seven and you wear a cowboy <laughs> hat. Um, it, it, you're hard to miss. And so it, so if you people have people know you. Um, right. And obviously, obviously, if they're in crypto, they know Senator Lemus. Mm -hmm. When you were thinking about changing your state, how did crypto fit into it? And why did it fit into your why? Sure. Yeah. So for me on on the crypto angle, it, it seemed like the perfect opportunity, right? It seemed like it was this golden opportunity that were, where there was no regulatory guidance. There was no, there was no nothing normalizing those assets. I mean, everybody was living in this gray space, right? And I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that thinks, you know, everything should be regulated or anything like that. But boy, the SEC was running around with a hammer. Folks were scared and they were exporting their businesses out of the country. So I got to thinking along with some other folks, what if we could keep those businesses here? What if they were businesses that were, would have been in California, but now they could be here in Wyoming? Why, why not grab them? Where there's no income tax or corporate tax. Yeah, there's no corporate income tax. There's no personal income tax. We're 49th lowest in the nation for property taxes. How the hell do you afford all this money for education? Minerals, baby. Why? Okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Minerals. Yeah, no, so Wyoming is blessed uh, that we are a very mineral rich state. Um, a lot of people think of West Virginia when you're thinking of coal. Couldn't be farther from the truth. The largest exporter of coal in the nation is Wyoming by a, by a long stretch. No shit. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So we know who you are. 
We know about crypto. We know mm -hmm. about why you are interest, interested in crypto, especially in Wyoming. Mm -hmm. Now we have some big news that came out, and you have some big news to tell everybody right. as well. Uh, but first, let's talk about the big news that came out for the Biden executive order. I think it was a breath of fresh air for a lot of people um, because it didn't do it didn't go to the extreme where we were hoping it didn't go. Right. Like calling for a proof of work ban on mining or a Bitcoin ban or crackdowns on exchanges or cra there was nothing like that. It right. was a let's observe, let's learn, let's be competitive. Let's make sure the United States is going to at least try to lead this market. But let's just pump the brakes a little bit. Right. At least that's the way I read it. What did you read out of there and from from a policy director for a senator mm -hmm. that is very much into crypto? Mm -hmm. How are you guys looking at it as a campaign, as a as as the a senator, a sitting senator. Right, right. So, yeah, uh, Senator Lamas was, you know, when we first heard a couple months ago that there was an executive order coming down the pike, uh, you know, this the senator was obviously very worried. Um, she'd been, she's been working on her piece of legislation for over a year. So f when that executive order came, um, or at least was being talked about it, it was pretty worrisome. You know, executive orders kind of have a history, the executive branch making policy decisions. Um, and you know, to get, kind of quote my boss, uh, Cynthia uh, Lummis, her her biggest deal on this is policy does not stem from the executive branch. It was never intended by the founders for it to stem from there. It was meant to stem from the legislative branch. And right. that's kind of uh, when we did see the executive order, when it did come out and we were all scrambling to read it and we were going over everything as, a, as an office with, with our boss, Senator Lummis, I, you know, it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, he's uh, desperately wrong on CBDCs. Um, but for the most part, he's just instructing his agencies, which are part of the executive branch, to get off their duff and coordinate with each other and talk with each other and, and look at this is, at, 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 at this issue. You said he's wrong with CBDCs. There was yeah. nothing there that said we were going to do. It said we're going to examine. Now, right. I, I think that I, I would I would say that it's prudent to examine. Right. We are in the space. We've talked about this. We speak to people about CBDCs all the time. We right. see what China is doing in India and all these different countries that are trying to go with CBDCs. Mm -hmm. So we have already created a, an idea of what we know it will become, the dangers of it, and how we feel about it. Right. I highly doubt Joe Biden or anybody in the administration has had that kind of thought process or went down that rabbit hole with CBDCs. Isn't this just a prudent move? Well, it would have been if that was the only move from the executive branch. So um, the Federal Reserve, if you remember, well, shoot, almost well, about a year ago, came out um, w where they said they were going to be studying a CBDC and they were going to do it with uh, MIT, um, which I thought was kind of an interesting choice to pick MIT. And, and I'm not taking anything away from MIT. I think it's a... Uh, probably a, a, a group of pretty smart folks. I've never been at MIT, so I don't know. But um, <laughs> I do know uh, where most of the folks uh, that, that have created a blockchain or created anything in this space where they went to school um, as far as your big names. And MIT's not on that list. So I'm not saying MIT's a bad place to go, but I'm, I'm saying it's certainly not the epicenter. And there's a whole industry out there that has the expertise on this space. So when President Biden specifically outlined it in, an, in his ex executive order after the Federal Reserve over a year ago said they were studying it, it does, you know, the, the, political, the political ears will be perked up a little bit considering it's already being studied. Today is March 9th, uh, recording this at around, yeah, let's just call it 3.30 Mountain Time, PM. The markets are up. 
they're up big by this executive order. It was kind of like a sigh of relief mm-hmm. for the market going like, oh, okay, nothing's going to happen. Let's get back to building. Let's get back to investing. I bet you institutions are happy. Wall Street's happy. Even the S&P 500 is up. It looks as though this is positive. This is an all-around positive. Is that how you and Senator Lummis are looking at this? Yeah, I think somewhat. I mean, it, it was definitely kind of a sigh of relief for, for our office also, just because if, if you're going to have an executive order, this was appropriate. This was an appropriate executive order. It's not setting policy, and it's just instructing agencies to look at something. Would we be, would we be better off as an industry if the executive order never happened? I don't think it changes the... I mean, I, I guess I, I might be jaded in the, in the regard of, of seeing how fast, having come from a state legislature and now working on the Hill, Congress is a slow-moving animal, and the agencies are even slower. I don't, I don't know. In the grand scheme of things, there's probably some warm fuzzies to go around for everybody. Is anything going to happen because of it? Probably not. Mm, mm. Just in my opinion. Do you think that this changes the way the industry is going to move forward in any way? Um, I think it probably will. Um, I think, I think you're probably going to see some industry reach out to some of these agencies, which would be good. Maybe they never had thought of to do so in the past. Kind of just being proactive to get the ball rolling on Mm -hmm. on regulations so they can continue to make their bread and butter Mm and do their bread and butter. And yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Pro speaking about proactive legislation, uh, Senator Lummis has, you said, like, what is it, 174, 179 page bill? Yeah, it's over 170 pages. We're, okay. we're still tweaking a little You're still bit. Still writing. It's just about done. Okay. Yeah. So, what is this bill? Because this was something that I didn't know about before. Uh, I know that Dennis Porter tre- tweeted about it today, mm-hmm. telling basically the crypto world, anybody who's paying attention to crypto and politics, that this thing is a thing. Mm-hmm. What is this thing? Right. Uh, so, when Senator Lummis uh, came to me, uh, boy, this is back in August of 2020, September of 2020, right after she'd won her primary, uh, she was looking to do something in this space, specifically in, at the federal level. Um, and so that's essentially why I was rec- recruited right along with another gentleman by the name of Chris Land, who's her general counsel. And we've been, you know, essentially working on this thing since Senator Lemma started in, in, when she was first sworn in in 2021. And so what it's, what it's called is the Responsible Financial Innovation Act. And the Responsible Financial Innovation Act uh, does a lot of different things. But I think most of the things that folks are looking for, which is just clarity, so that if you're operating in this space, there's not going to be really too many questions of, on whether or not you're in a gray area. With that being said, I'll also throw a giant asterisk on it that uh, you know, government will never be able to keep up with tech, especially not tech in this space. Uh, so that's going to be um, you know, one thing that's going to be a little, bit of a, you know, a little bit of a hurdle. But for the most part, I think on the bigger issues, I think Senator Lummis has done a really good job on, 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 on crowding it. And it's, it's a big dog. It's so, so what's in it? A lot. You want me to go through it all? Are you One, ready? One hundred percent. We're all ready. So, <laughs> just really quick, guys. There's a lot in here. Like I said, it's 170 plus pages. So, what what we got in there? We'll be right back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right. So kicking the balls off right off the thing, you have to go after definitions. Okay. You've got to go after definitions. What do you mean? Well, so definitions in the space have always been kind of an issue as far as security law, commodities, those types of things. Even Gary Gensler, one of the few things he said right, in my opinion, as he said, he's, he's been waiting for Congress to act and give him definitions on what he can act on. Mm. And that's it. And they've, for the most part, kind of followed that. And that's been a good thing. So we're, so we're only talking about the definitions like what is a security? What is a commodity in terms of crypto or in terms of modern securities? But we, we know what a security is when it comes to right. a, a corporation or correct or a stock or whatever. Right. Yeah, we don't need to mess with that. Those are pretty. OK. Yeah. So just basically crypto. Yeah. Is he also talking about what does a what is a stable coin? Yeah, we do all those. What things. is what is an airdrop? Um, we don't cover airdrops. Okay. Yeah, but that's uh, what we're talking about when it comes to saying definitions. Right. Correct. Okay. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, essentially, one of the most pressing issues in that digital asset space is that lack, lack of common definitions for digital assets: virtual currency, payment stable coins, smart contracts, similar terms, those types of stuff. Common definitions provide that kind of clarity, clarity that innovators, you know, I mean, could at least backstop on, or at least have that that sandbox that they can feel comfortable in. Uh, and it's just, all it does is create a set of generally applicable definitions for industry, Congress, academics, regulators, and the public to work from. So that's kind of in a nutshell what those definitions do. Uh, and I don't think anybody's gonna be surprised by those definitions. We stole liberally from what we had written in the state of Wyoming when we were creating those definitions because we know those definitions already work. Mm-hmm. So um, those we've we, th- those are just a reflection of what happened in Wyoming. and. I can't say just Wyoming because a lot of those definitions have now spread to other states like Colorado, Texas, uh, South Carolina, uh, states that have uh, grabbed the bull by the horns. Uh, I'm not going to put Florida on that list. No pun intended because we're in Wyoming, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to put Florida on that list because uh, Florida has Miami and Mayor Suarez, but that's it. They Mm. haven't passed any laws. They haven't done anything to protect the hodlers. They haven't or the innovators. So Florida, if you're in Florida, uh, your state legislature gets an F from Tyler. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch, we just lost the Florida listeners. So sorry about that. No, see, well, if you're in Florida, you know, you get your little group of friends and change your state the way you want yeah, it to. Yeah, run the ball, man. There you go. There you go. What else is in that bill? All right. Then we get into re- responsible taxation of digital assets. Um, so what we're really looking at there is just integrating digital assets into the system of taxation. It provides for a de minimis exclusion of up to $600 from a taxpayer's gross income calculation related to the use of digital asset payments. So basically, if you walk into a coffee shop and you want to buy everybody coffee and you want to use your crypto for it, that's not a taxable event. Okay. That'd be a... Up to $600. Up to $600. Okay. We would like to go higher, um, but we'll see where everybody else is at. Senator Toomey, uh, uh, Senator Toomey out of Pennsylvania is thinking more right around the $200 marks. We're trying to push the envelope with them a little bit. So, I mean, if, you, if this is if this is uh, Senator Lemus's bill, I mean, why isn't she just shooting for the stars and let everybody just talk her down after that? 6000 bucks. Want to pass. Want to pass. Want to pass. Wanna so you're going to put something rational in there, and then if they want to just tweak it by a couple hundred bucks, then they're just being petty, but yep. fine, we'll listen to you. Yep. Gotcha. Put it up high enough that if they want to feel like they've got a little bit of ownership in it, they can back it down. As of right now, that de minimis exemption does not exist. Right. I mean, so if, this is so something's better than nothing. Yeah. If you buy coffee right now, you're going to pay capital gains on that Bitcoin. Right. And so we can. I think I think we can move the ball here 
and we can come back and look at it again later I, on down the road. I like how coffee is always like the example people use. Why is it fucking coffee? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> coffee shops are the only ones that accept Bitcoin. <laughs> maybe, maybe. All right. Coffee and show cows? I mean, pizza. <laughs> we know, we know and pizza, pizza, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, so because some digital assets are seen as a store of value and an attractive asset for diversification of a retirement investment portfolio, why shouldn't you be able to exit your investment, your typical investment portfolio like an IRA or a 401k without any tax penalties and invest in crypto? You should be able to do that. I think they have that now. Some places. But that's the, and the, there's companies around there that do that. Do that, that they, they, those companies do do that, uh, but that's pivoting to a trust that's labeled as an IRA. It's kind of fancy footwork. Okay. Gotcha. Um, whereas this would just this would just make those penalties. And everybody who, who manages any IRAs or whatever now right. can have just do this. Right. Well, and you don't even have to manage IRAs. I mean, the reality of, of what Senator Lamas has done here, all of this is enabling. Doesn't mean you have to do it. Um, and another big part of this is, I mean, we're all in the crypto world. We're all in the Bitcoin world. We're not the type of people that want a fund manager. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. can manage it ourselves. So this would allow you, instead of working with a third-party company, to exit your IRA or to exit your 401k and invest it yourself. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of merit in there. Um, we also clarify, uh, Senator Lemos clarifies the definition of broker for the purposes of providing customer transaction data. Um, a lot of your folks probably remember this fight on the infrastructure bill. Yep. Um, this is the Wyden Lemos version. This is not the compromise version that came later um, with other names like Lake Portman on it. I think that's your fault too, by the way. You're talking about Ohio? Yep. Yep. Just okay. saying. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll own it. We'll own it. <laughs> we'll own it. Uh, so that's, um, that's going to be moving forward um, in that piece of legislation also. And that'll be the Wyden Lummis model, um, which I think is um, probably the more favorable model mm -hmm. um, that came out of the Senate. Um, and then we get into uh, specifying digital asset lending agreements may receive the same tax treatment as securities lending, which promotes market liquidity. Uh, and we hop into recognizing the status of decentralized autonomous organizations as valid forms of business. Hmm. Now, here's where Senator Lummis really stretches her legs on federalism. That's only in states that have recognized DAOs as legal business entities. Like Wyoming. Only Wyoming. <laughs> so contact your state legislatures. Tell them to recognize DAOs as a legal form of business. This is what happened with LLCs in 1977. A lot mm. of people don't know this. Wyoming invented the LLC. In 1977. Well, well, color me surprised. Yeah. I didn't know that. It took like six or seven years before the IRS recognized it as a legal form of business. No business. shit. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So this isn't Wyoming's first rodeo. We've been down this road before. <laughs> Another pun. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's a that's a big piece that Senator Lamas has done. Um, you know, recognizing that Dow formation just just so that I because you know it, a state law it um, for the most part handles corporate law. And we don't really necessarily need federal recognition, but for the purposes of the IRS, we do. We can either wait for the IRS to recognize it as states have written it, or um, you know, we run a bill. And that's what Senator Lummis has chosen to do, um, specifically towards DAOs. Um, and then she also requires the IRS to adopt accurate guidance relating to, fo to forks and airdrops merchant acceptance and requires classification of digital asset mining and staking activity as a product production activity in which gains are not realized until a disposition of the asset well that touches back on that widen lummis amendment and just makes very clear that whether you're proof of stake or proof of work 
it's it's not a capital gains taxable event until you've completely disposed of those assets. And what does disposed of those assets mean? Sold. S- sold those assets. Sold those assets to a fiat or sold those assets to any other crypto? Any other crypto would be typical typical IRS guidance. It'd be much like going stock to stock. You would. Okay. It is a capital gains taxable event. Uh, but uh, current the the current gray area is that you might be um, accruing a capital gains taxable event under proof of stake as it as it stands right now, even if you're just delegating. Mm. And so that's what Senator Lummis is trying to clarify is that that is not a disposition of assets. Gotcha. Yeah. And then we hop into the responsible securities innovation. So that provides uh, highly focused clarification to existing law, preserving the Howey test. That's mother's milk in this. And everybody I'm sure that's listening has heard the Howey test before, so I don't probably need to hop into that we too We spoke much. about it many times on the show. Right. Yeah. So uh, that the Howey test is important and it's, I think it's fair. Is it relative? And that's one of my biggest criticisms right now. Is it applicable to cryptocurrencies? I think Howey, the, the, the Howey test unto itself is. The existing security law is not. Ooh, yeah. go a little deeper. Uh, so, uh, you know, your current, your, your current security law never took into consideration that some things, you know, might look like a security, uh, but with, with sufficient decentralization, so what you're saying is if it looks like a duck and talks like a duck, it might not be a duck? No, I'm saying if it looks like a duck and talks like a duck, it is a duck. But if it looks like a duck but talks like a moose, it might not be a duck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. But that's the, that's the difficulty of, of digital assets. Some of these things are wild. I mean, so, should, should it be a security if there's a disposition, of, uh, disposition that happens every time of a resale of an NFT back to the original the original artist is that a security at that point hmm. some in the security world would say that is a security hmm. some would not hmm. and so that's kind of the rub gotcha yeah i don't think anybody thinks that a, that an nft um, a typical nft as we would normally think of it um, a board ape for example would be a security it's not sold for the purpose of investment you're not told that you're going to make any money off of it and that's where security law ends it ends at issuance mm-hmm but there comes the rub. Some of these NFTs do have a back pay back to the artist. Let's use, and I, I use this example because I just had her on the show. It's Avery Akineni, the president of Vayner NFT. And say Gary V, you're probably, everybody's familiar with Gary V and his NFTs. He has these things called um, V Friends, and he draws them. And these NFTs are sold with the, I guess with the innate ability to be transferred into something else say like uh, tickets to a conference. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it already has value to it. Um, That value is not supposed to be, I guess, but Gary Vee is now a person that is promoting these V friends. Right. Not saying that he's promoting for value, but he's Mm -hmm. promoting that plus the conference, plus the other things. Is that also kind of like a gray area we have to get into? Because that sounds like a security now. I, I, that, that specifically to me does not sound like a security because it's not sold for the purpose of an investment. It's how do you how do you vehicle? How do you go for intent? So if you so it has to be the intent of the issuer. The intent of the issuer. By security law, it has to be the intent of the issuer. Okay. So if they tell you, just like Orange Groves for Howie, you're going to make money on this. That's a security. Mm. Is it always make money or get something else of value? Um, I guess that's what I was kind of asking. A there. gain, a gain in value. You buy a V friend for let's call it one F. And your gain of value is being access to this conference that usually goes for two thousand dollars. Right. That's not a gain of value. No, because well, 
I guess I, I would think not because I'm guessing the original price would normally be somewhere around that characteristic. Hmm. Um, so for instance, I, I would compare that instance to prepaid phone cards, mm -hmm. right? Now, granted, there's probably a lot of people on this, uh, they're listening to this. that are like, the hell is a prepaid phone card? <laughs> they were pretty hip back in the day. They were, I mean, that was the thing, man. I, I, I graduated in 2001. I guess I'm not that old, but old enough. Um, that uh, the reality is uh, prepaid phone cards could be considered or united miles, united mileage for your, for your airline. You graduated college 2001 or high school? High school. Oh shit, I'm older than you. No, you're not. Yeah, I, I was 98. Were you? Yeah. I thought, oh, who was 38 last night? Did you say, were you uh, saying? I'm 42. Or? So I thought you were saying you were 38 last night. Oh, man, I, would, well, I don't know, I'd be lying about my age. <laughs> who else was it? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Why, 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 are we, why are we talking about this? This is, this is, where, cut that this is where we're editing out this out. <laughs> okay, so what, what else is on, on this? And the reason why I, I, I set this up, I don't know if Gary V's V friends are uh, security or not. And that's not what I was trying to um, say in this podcast. Right. I was trying to create an example that mm -hmm. I thought could be construed as a security, but I wasn't right. making a claim. So if anybody's going to be like, V friends are not securities, I... I even though I said it, I'm doing it for conversation purposes. So please, nobody send me hate emails right. and jump right. down my back. And I don't know if it's a security either. Also, that's not your job. Yeah, if if anybody's going to look at look at this podcast and be like, well, uh, the state policy director for a U.S. senator said I'm not a security. I'm also not an attorney. This is not <laughs> investment advice, nor is it legal advice. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I got advice on cows and how to feed them out. If you want that too, <laughs> that, that'll be another podcast. We might do that after this one. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So uh, something else that it does, it clarifies that certain assets provided pursuant to an investment contract are to be treated as ancillary assets. So if it's, actu if it's an actual contract, right? So that's subject to disclosures and anti-fraud requirements that already exist under security law. Um, those are an investment contract. And so if it's an investment contract, that's a security. Right, right. right. Um, also promotes investor investor protection through comprehensive disclosures relating to ancillary assets, but provides a clear test for the determination of an asset as a security or commodity, providing clarity for purchasers and intermediaries in secondary, secondary markets. That's just pointing back to Howie, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, specif specifies custody requirements around digital assets and overrules 2020 SEC guidance, which provided that traditional securities broker dealers may not deal in digital assets alongside traditional securities, Bitcoin ETF. Can we just get this going already? Right? It's, Can it's we please? You got like the Canada's futures beating us at this point. We got Canada. the futures. And, and, and remember, do you remember when futures and um, uh, derivatives launched on exchanges uh, back in like I think it was eighteen? Mm -hmm. And I, I really think that that was what tanked the market and started creating this artificial. Yeah, his down pressure. And I really feel that that's what Ginsler did is he's like, yeah. I'm going to create artificial down pressure on the market mm -hmm. and not get any other kind of uh, signals for the market. Well, and who's, right the, now. who's the type of people that are going to buy into that kind of shit? It's not a typical crypto punk. No, it damn sure is not. If not your keys, not your crypto, man. I mean, that's right. Who, yeah. Trace right. Mayer, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Which Trace, if you're listening to this show, please give us a shout out. We haven't spoken in a while, and and you just, uh, where where are you, bro? We need Trace, Matt. We we need Trace. Matt. Where you is know Trace? Trace? Helped us in Wyoming. Oh, did he? He was a big part of the lean cleansing provision that we put into uh, Wyoming law. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, no, Trace Mayer is the man. Okay, yeah, so Trace, come back. We need Trace back <laughs> in Wyoming, <laughs> Ohio. I mean, maybe Ohio. Sure, sure. <laughs> Um, so it resolves a longstanding issue relating to the accounting treatment of digital assets 
um, that required accountants are requiring accountants to be able to mark to market digital assets based on their fair value. Currently, what they currently do, and this is really jacked up, uh, the current treatment is an indefinite lived intangible asset, which only can be marked down like a pickup truck that you put on your balance sheet. The values always has to go down. Well, that's not possible. So basically this is the problem that uh, Michael Saylor's having with holding yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this would, this would fix that for Michael Saylor. Gotcha. Yep. Then we jump into responsible commodities. Wait, really ambition. quick, really yeah. quick. Gold is not thought of that way, is it? No. Okay. No. And that, that's the garbage part of, you know, why, why this is so desperately needed. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, responsible commodities and innovation that grants the CFTC, the Commodities Future Trading Commission, spot regulatory authority over digital asset markets, including virtual currency and, and ancillary asset trading. Um, that spot market authority, that's, that's going to be a little bit of a fight because the SEC would dearly love to be able to control the exchanges. Mm -hmm. And we would dearly love that they not. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I guess somebody is going to, the natural question is, so what is the difference between the CFTC controlling the exchanges and the SEC controlling the exchanges? Right. Well, the amount of market pressure that's going to be available and what kind of assets can be listed would be the biggest thing. Now, granted, this is that speculative of me um, because I, I suspect the way the SEC would act and I suspect the way the CFTC would act. And I, I can say from personal conversations and interactions that we've had that uh, the CFTC, and I think everybody on the Hill will agree with this, needs to have spot market authority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it also creates standards around digital asset custody, customer funds, segregation, bankruptcy treatment of exchanges and brokers and other customer protection issues. Authorizes digital asset exchanges to register as a designated contract market, a DCM, under the supervision of the CFTC and a joint SEC CFTC self-regulatory organization. That's an SRO. That's Remember, and this is an important thing. I want everybody to remember this. I'm going to say this multiple times throughout this. This is all enabling. None of this is mandatory. Now, I think you're going to have an easier time moving through these types of hurdles versus guessing what you have to do. Currently, right. currently all these exchanges have to go state by state for money transmitter licenses. That's a bond and a license in each state. Something like this is going to be a lot easier. You don't have to do it that way. You can always go state by state. It's however you choose. But this enabling piece of legislation would make your life easier. Right. Yeah. Um, and then... Now, would, be, would states be able to opt out of this? Um, so, it, I mean, the states, uh, so, as far as not going over, over state lines, no. I mean, interstate commerce is the business of the state, so... Or the business of the federal government, pardon me. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so gotcha. Because as we as we know, Hawaii is notorious for trying to keep exchanges out. Right. And right. so this would basically just say, well, you're open to Hawaii. Yeah, kind or of. Or New York. Right. So uh, the, Hawaii would ha Hawaii would still have the opportunity to say you still have to get a money transmitter license. Okay, rules. understood. If you're gonna if you're gonna sell to Hawaii residents, so that's uh, back to Senator Lummis respecting states' rights, um, even if states make bad choices. Mm -hmm. That's. And I'm sorry to those those folks out there that live in bad, you know, in states that are that are bad on this. I would also note that Wyoming in 2000, 2015 was ranked as a third worst state for cryptocurrency mm. in the nation. We're was not ranked at that anymore. You're fourth. We're one. 
Oh, yeah. first worst state ever? No, we're the best. <laughs> <laughs> first worst state. <laughs> Easy, you're in Wyoming. <laughs> so states can fix I'm not going to make it out of here alive, am yeah, I? No. <laughs> <laughs> Hawaii can fix this. New York can fix some of the issues that they have. Right. They can. Uh, it just depends on if they want, how much pressure they receive from their from their voters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you're, if your elected representation is not, uh, you know, not talking to you or not uh, seeing your concerns, you can always vote with your feet. Right. Wyoming's welcoming or Ohio. Soon to be. <laughs> Once I get into Congress. There you there, go. There you there go. You go. <laughs> um, yeah. What else do we do here? Uh, so it gives financial institutions, banks, trust companies, broker dealers, et cetera, a limited exemption from registering with the CFTC for the purpose of spot digital asset transaction as they are subject to super supervision from other regulators, such as the Federal Reserve, um, the OCC, uh, state regulatory uh, bodies. So they're already regulated under that. There's no reason to double regulate uh, for those types of institutions. Uh, makes conforming amendments to su- to facilitate CFTC supervision and empowers the creation of self-regulatory organizations for digital assets. That goes back to that SRO aspect. Um, and then we jump into responsible consumer protection. This is important. Yep. Yep. Creates meaningful standards around consumer protection for the digital asset markets, empowering, cons- uh, empowering customers, pardon me, with information to make informed investment decisions and allowing regulators to police bad actors. Requires customer disclosures relating to relating to the activities in which a custodian may use customer digital assets. So that means if, uh, for example, well, uh, typically, right? So when you, when you look at a, at a bank, a typical banking institution, right? They're fractionally reserved. They mm-hmm. use your assets as part of their own liquidity to give loans to their other customers. Right. Who the hell knows that as an average American? Like nobody knows that. Right? Uh, well, unless you're in the crypto space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, most people don't know that. Um, something that's very different about this space is if, 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 if a custodian of your assets is going to start doing that with your assets, they have to tell you <clears throat> beforehand. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And it's not because we want to put more burden on these institutions versus banks, but we also know that this, these institutions are... Right. So you're basically trying to stop the problem before it becomes a problem. Absolutely right. Gotcha. Absolutely right. Yep. Um, requires customer disclosures relating to activities. I did that one. Requires a custodian to treat customers fairly with respect to the source code version of digital assets used by the custodian. What are we talking about there? Talking about forks. Hmm. Got to talk about them forks. Hmm. The reality is if I deposit my assets say i deposit ethereum and they give me ethereum classic back even though it's par value Mm -hmm. maybe i don't want ethereum classic or vice versa maybe i believe in one of the over over the other okay so you you have to get back it's it's essentially it's a bailment right okay so a bailment for um for the folks that have never really heard of that think of it as valet parking Right, we're at this big Jackson Resort right now. They've got valet parking shaking out down there, and I pull up and I got my pickup and I throw them the keys to the pickup. And they go park my truck. I go go to get my truck back and they bring me back a car, uh, a Toyota. Yeah, front wheel drive. That's horseshit. <laughs> there's, there's, there's over a. There's, I think there's three foot of snow on the ground right now. That's a bad deal. Yeah, right? it seems like a bad deal. Right, even though it might be the same value. Right. I don't want the I don't want the Toyota. Right. right? Bring my pickup back. Gotcha. Understood. So, same kind of situation, um, and that's an important piece. 
requires that risk and opportunities of lending or a rehypothecation transaction be adequately disclosed to customers, including collateralization and appropriate risk management standards. For those that don't know about rehypothecation and, and what shakes out there, think of Wall Street. All right, so these big banks back back in New York, what they what they can and do do with your assets is essentially three card money, right? So if I lend, uh, for example, say you're my bank, right? Mm-hmm. And I come to you and I say, listen, I need a loan. Here's my here's my uh, my pickup as as a down payment, right? Deal collateral, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're one of these big Wall Street banks. You can now take my pickup and go right next door to the to another bank and say, hey, I need a loan. Now, mm-hmm. and use my pickup as collateral, and they right. can use my pickup as collateral on down the line. Right. And then what happens when I pay off my loan? Do I get my pickup back? Yeah, you have to find <laughs> that pickup. Right. So you, you have to be notified of that. Gotcha. Yeah. In Wyoming, that's a felony. <clears throat> In New York, that's legal. Really? Yep. That's weird. Yep. And it actually comes from case law in Wyoming. That's really weird. Yeah, it comes from a, a, a Supreme Court case in, in the state of Wyoming where somebody had rehypothecated some diamonds. Okay, so, so wait. Because I think, <laughs> because this doesn't make sense, because I've never, I never would think to do this. Right. If you give somebody your pickup mm-hmm. for collateral on a loan, and they give you, say, say your pickup's five thousand dollars, they give you ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars, right? Or was five to five? We'll just go five five. Sure, that makes that makes more sense. I can then take say that take that five thousand dollar pickup and go get a loan for five thousand dollar pickup right. or five thousand dollars in right. New York City. Yeah, you come back say where's my pickup? Here's the five thousand dollars, and I can just go. I don't know. But technically, if you only went to one other entity, that would only be hypothecating, and they would have to go to another person that would be rehypothecating, and so that's when the rehypothecation gets into play. You get you're getting a loan on somebody else's assets. That doesn't that doesn't seem right. No, because it's, it's not. That's why it's a felony <laughs> in Wyoming. <laughs> Your ass will go to jail in the cowboy state for that kind of shit. That does not seem right. <laughs> Boy, where was I at? Uh, we beat up on rehypothecation, New York. Good. Mandates that a custodian and a customer to agree on when a transaction should be considered fully settled as a matter of law. So these are all just consumer protection facing things saying, hey, you've got to have a solid agreement in place before you transact with these types of custodians. Um, if these custodians are going to operate in such manner, once again, only enabling legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, then we jump into payments. I told you there's a lot here. There is, there is a lot. <laughs> let's, uh, let's go faster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> um, so we jump into payments, and that's uh, – so on the CB, CBDC front – um, Senator Lamas is just requiring a study on the impact of China's central bank digital currency. Smart. Yeah. Very smart. Um, it, it actually implements a vast majority of the requirements of the pre- president's working group on stable coins, including uh, payment stable coin asset reserve quality, re- requiring verifiable, verifiable proof of re- reserves for all stable coin issuers, consolidated supervision, application of the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act, uh, restrictions on customer data transfer, privacy, and separation of banking and commerce. Uh, so, getting kind of down into the deep, deep into the weeds. But the reality is, if you're running a, if you're running a stable coin, and you say you're reserved, you should prove it. Yeah, agreed, one hundred percent. Then we jump into responsible banking uh, innovation that integrates digital assets in the banking sy- uh, system in a safe and sound manner. Uh, reality there all you guys got to do is look at what Wyoming did and then uh, what Texas did several years after um, because that's essentially what we've done um, making sure that a bailment's in place those types of things allowing banks to enter into this depository institution 
place and also putting limits as far as what can be done as far as what happened in the past with Operation Choke Point. Uh, Operation Choke Point was what the FDIC did with in conjunction um, with uh, uh, the uh, boy. Now my brain just went blank when it did in regards with the Justice Department um, where they were essentially choking out different types of businesses by denying them uh, denying them accounts. So making sure that that can't happen anymore. Then we get into interagency coordination. This is the SRO, right? Self-regulatory organization. When it, mean, when it says self-regulatory, that means exactly what it is. Self-regulatory organizations have been around for a hot minute. Uh, FINRA is an example of a self-regulatory organization. Uh, an SRO formed in this would have to be formed by the SEC and the CFTC working in conjunction with each other. That's typically not a thing where agencies work well together. But we have confidence in those guys. They can get her done. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. Uh, there's, there's a lot more in there, too, but uh, those are the high points. Love it. Love it. Thank you very much for going through all of that. One thing that you didn't mention, and I, I wanted to wrap it up with this, because this is the glaring thing that I think the Bitcoin community is going to ask about. Why isn't legal tender in there? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So the reason why legal tender is not in there um, has to do with, you know, who Senator Lummis is as a person. One of the biggest problems that we, you know, it's working out for El Salvador so far, but it was also a force. Mm -hmm. It was, there was nothing enabling about that. There was, they were forcing their merchants to accept Bitcoin as legal tender. I'm assuming the way that uh, the senator is looking at that, maybe yourself as well, is that you think that if it's a good product, if it's a good system, if it is something that is providing value to people, businesses, then they will accept it. You don't need to force them to exactly take it. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, and on top of that, too, uh, Senator Lummis's bill is, you know, going after the major pain points for companies operating in the states. So we want those companies to be in the United States. We want them here. We desperately need them here. We need that innovation happening right. here. Does a legal tender requirement make sure that those businesses stay here? I don't know. I don't think so. Not from what we've experienced thus far. What right. we've experienced thus far is seeing El Salvador's tourism rates go up. Um, but Wyoming, states that have moved the ball on something like this, have seen an incredible influx as far as business filings in their state. And that's what we're about. We want the innovation to happen here. You want a vacation, go to El Salvador. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you could make vacation here in Jackson too. You could. You could always go to Jackson, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting. And so, what I heard you say there is that you think that it was a misstep in El Salvador. And I'm this is with you. I'm not just talking about the mm -hmm. senator. Um, it was a misstep of El Salvador to do this. And you are generally against the idea of Bitcoin is legal tender. I'm against the idea of force of. Mm -hmm using an act of government to force people into into something that they may not want to do. I don't know that it was a mistake on El Salvador's part. I do think they would have had a much cleaner piece of legislation that would have been more openly accepted by the OGs of this space that have been around for a bit and believe in free market capitalism um, if there was no mandate. If there was no mandate in their law. I mean, if it is a good enough product, it will be adopted. I mean, right now, you can there's a lot of things that you can buy without that force. And we think, um, you know, I, I personally think that with sound regulatory body and uh, some clean definitions that we can get to the point that it is more widely used. 
last question I have, and I think that this is not this isn't a crypto question, but it, I just thought of it right now because you said you're against anything that is forced. Mm-hmm. Is there any point? And I we just went through COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has been many instances where the government forced right. their citizens, our citizens, the American citizen, to do something. Mm-hmm. If it's the draft, if it's uh, whatever, you could fill in the blank, right? Mm-hmm. We could probably think of a lot. Right. Is there any time where you think that force is justified? Yeah, I mean, protect life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, that's the original intent of the United States. That was the original intent of our Constitution. And I think our Constitution, um, <laughs> before the 16th Amendment, did a really good job uh, well, I shouldn't say before the 16th Amendment. The 16th Amendment um, unto itself and, and the 17th unto, uh, uh, by themselves are a little bit of a flaw in the system. Uh, everything else in the Constitution is pretty simple and, and, and follows that line of force. I mean, even when you look at um, how the U.S. declares war under, under Article 1, Section 8, Clauses 15 and 16, that, that the power of war lies with Congress, lies with the people. It doesn't lie with the government. Um, in fact, the federal government, uh, I mean, the Constitution is just 100% instructions for the federal government not to, how not to tread on rights. Mm. And so I think we've really kind of missed that. All liberty is individual. Um, there's no collective liberty that, that has currently, um, currently ever happened and been successful. But the U.S. Constitution is a, is a pretty good framework on how to protect that individual liberty. And I think for the most part, that's what we should stick to. And so this is at the end of this, and I know everybody's probably heading over to Google to Google the 16th Amendment. <laughs> and so the 16th Amendment is, the Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes and, and incomes from whatever source derived without apportionment among the several states and without regard to any c- census or enumeration. Right, income tax. You know, when they were actually, when uh, the Wilson administration was running the ball on that, they, originally, they were, were originally thinking, let's put a cap in there of 5%. But they were so, uh, not Woodrow's uh, team, but everybody else was so afraid that the federal government would immediately go to 5%. Mm -hmm. They left that portion out, that cap of 5%. Damn, I wish they would have kept that in there. (laughs) For those that don't know, Woodrow Wilson was an absolute trash bag of a president. He was a notable racist. He put in the 16th Amendment, the 17th Amendment. He started the Federal Reserve. Woodrow Wilson was not a bright spot. I think that that would be... Another conversation for our political podcast that we're going to start. <laughs> Are you starting a political podcast? No, no. Oh, let's start it right now. Come we, on. We, we, could, we, we definitely could. We, if we could. We, have, we can crack open a beer and just keep going with this. <laughs> right. But uh, Tyler, I want to say thank you very much for coming yeah. on and, and, and talking about this and going through the legislation that's going to be proposed. Uh, there, I'm assuming that this, there's going to be a lot of the asterisks, like you said. There's going to be a little bit of editing. There's yep. going to be a lot of uh, probably passing around yep. uh, the, the, the Capitol Hill to right. get uh, feedback from other senators maybe some right. other congress people right. uh to and it would probably be some changes to what you said right in a little bit of the details but for the most part this is what senator lummox is going to propose and try to get support right. around you know and, and ab- absolutely right matt and and one thing that you said when when you kicked the ball off on this whole conversation is you talked about how there's a piece of legislation out there that is early that is preempt and is running the ball so to speak and that is spot on and absolutely right. And I think if we're gonna if we're gonna keep these businesses here, and the United States is gonna continue to thrive as a financial powerhouse, the time is now. The time is not to to the time is not now to wait and study, and hope we get it right two or three years from now. I think we export a hell of a lot of businesses between now and then. Mm-hmm. The time is now. Let's run. One hundred percent agree. 
now I just have one last question, even though I had a couple last questions already. Um, the timeline of this. When do you think this is going to be proposed? Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's going to get all the buy-in from everybody else on Capitol Hill. When do you think that it actually can make its way through the Senate and the House? Um, and do you think that McConnell is going to be able to put it up for a vote? And he will. Um, and do you think that... And what do you think that it would do for the industry in general? Right. So I think you're probably going to be looking at in the next couple of weeks um, that Senator Lummis could drop this thing. That's what we're shooting for. Um, Senator Lummis is finishing up some talks right now with a uh, bipartisan member, a Democrat over in the Senate, um, that she's hoping that uh, they'll they'll jump and uh, sign on and they can do this hand in hand. And they've got some changes they want to do to the bill, um, which Senator Lummis thinks is great. And so that way it's a joint effort and it'd be good. They're from two very different areas, two very different parts of the United States. So having that kind of coalition put together, I think, is great. As far as uh, timeline, as far as passage or anything like that, I think what you're going to see is Senator Lummis kicking this big bill out there with her uh, bipartisan lead and probably a month or so afterwards, chopping that bill up into about eight or nine different pieces, little small vehicles to move on their own Mm. uh, to get done what we can get done. There's going to be parts of this bill that are really unpopular, um, particularly with the SEC. Um, there's not a lot that happens, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? There's not a lot that happens in this piece of legislation that is, you know, really uh, made the SEC staff super excited. Mm. Um, they just haven't been. Uh, the CFTC has been pretty great to work with. I will say that, though. Uh, they've been re- incredibly responsive, done a fantastic job. And so I think uh, as far as the commodities portion of it, that might move pretty quick. As far as the, uh, the de minimis exemption, those types of portions, that might move pretty quick. Uh, which would which would be great, um, but it is Congress, and so they move pretty slow, um, faster than agencies. But Senator Lamas is going to be whipping and spurring. And, and like I and like I asked before, do you think that uh, McConnell will um, put it to the floor for a vote? That's well, it's and not, it, it's not up to McConnell. That's up to Schumer. Oh shit, that's right, it's Schumer. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, my bad. <laughs> right, right. For some reason, I always say I am not running for Congress. <laughs> Let me ask that over. Well, it, well, we're, we're hopeful that it's going to be McConnell. Okay, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> uh, <we're, laughs> I like that joke. I want to keep it in there. Um, so, do you think Schumer is going to put it to the floor? I don't know. You know, that's an interesting piece. And we, then, we, we, then, you, then you have Pelosi as well. Well, right. And so there's there's the interesting dichotomy of this whole situation as it shakes out. Once it's out there, it's going to take legs of its own, right? That's what happens with these big pieces of legislation. Right. It's either going to sink or swim. And we're really going to depend on we're going to depend on the, the crypto folks out there. Remember what we did on the Infrastructure Act? Mm-hmm. Do it again. Blow the phones up. Call them. Ask for their support. Run the ball. And I think that would be the biggest the biggest help that you can do if you want to see that uh, that innovation um, being protected under law, my God, now's the time, guys. Now, I, I just made an assumption right there, I think. Do you think that there is going to be one person that's going to be more willing to put it to the floor than the other, uh, the McConnell or the Schumer? I actually don't know. I don't. I really, I don't know. I will say this, um, that we have had outreach from one of them hmm. in that office. It was it was it positive outreach? It was neutral. Just one, <laughs> well, it was neutral. They wanted to they wanted to see the bill. They wanted to know what was going on. 
Tyler, I want to say thank you very much for coming on and, and, and talking about this. And, uh, well, um, this is actually really big news. I think the listeners are going to appreciate the in-depth uh, um, conversation that we had. It's something that we don't do on this show often. We usually just do news. Right. Um, but this is big news that is going to shape the future of this industry. And it shows, I think, that there are people out there. Um, and, and this is what I, I – I got to tell you this story really quick. This isn't the first time this happened, but it's just recent. And he's probably listened to the show. There's a guy that reached out to me in uh, London and he Mm -hmm. works as a postman. Mm -hmm. Doesn't like his job. Fair. Wants wants to figure out how to get involved in in crypto. He's very passionate about crypto. Wants to try to do something. Um, And he's, he reached out. He went, so he starts helping, you know, me a little bit with different things. He's now interviewing with uh, different companies and crypto companies. He has uh, volunteered his time for the space. And and that's like one thing we talked about is Mm -hmm. that, Hey, put yourself into the space before you want to start getting stuff out of it, but start enacting in it. And now he's at his third interview with multiple companies to get a job and he's going to transition and be a lot happier with his life and do something he's passionate about. So I think that people are listening right now need to know that since it's such an early industry, since Mm -hmm. there's so much potential, since there's so much gray, the sky is the limit of how we can progress this industry. And it just takes people to go out, break out of their comfort comfort zones, learn something new, maybe get a group of people like you did that are Mm like-minded and go out there and just do it. Right, run the ball, run the ball. You know, and there's some really great resources politically ended too. Um, that exist on Capitol Hill and in your state legislatures. I mean, you got the digital chamber that's out on Capitol Hill. They're great. And uh, Adam, the Association of Digital Asset Markets, they're good. Um, And then on top of that, you've got some great organizations that have put a lot of work in this bill. And that includes those two that I just mentioned. Um, So there's some really good organizations out there. Contact them, reach out to them. Um, They've done a a lot of hard work. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Deemer. If you like this show, show us some love. Go to Apple Podcasts, like, subscribe, share, and leave us a comment. Also go to Spotify, smash those five stars, give us a good rating, show everybody that this is the best damn crypto news show in the business. And as always, you can always send me an email, matthewaron at decrypt.co. And until tomorrow, happy hodling, everyone.